0: The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground.
1: Welcome everyone. Some of you know I'll be leaving for a month of retreat practice tomorrow morning and I'm really grateful that we have some visiting teachers to cover for me. Neoshan Kelly, a well-known teacher uh, here at IMS and around the country is going to be teaching this first week. So Wednesday night, Sunday morning, and Sunday night. Same talk, given three times, just like I do. So she'll be here next Sunday. And then the following Sunday night, Doug McGill, who leads the group down in Rochester, he'll come up and give the talk. And uh, the last two Sunday evenings, Gail Iverson will give the talk. And there are a number of other programs this month. and. Uh, Very soon, maybe tonight or tomorrow, Shelley, our office manager, will send out a schedule of all the guest teachers for the month of May while while I'm away. So we'll be finishing up the series of talks on determination. This is one of the parmes. We've been going through this list of the 10 beautiful qualities of the heart over the last year and a half now. We have loving kindness and equanimity that we'll pick up and do in the summer. But uh, tonight I'll say a few things about determination and then I'd like to hear what other people have to say or questions that you might have about this particular quality of mind. And of course, if you've been experimenting, learning about Buddhism, or really in any religious tradition, there's a real emphasis on determination. it's not just in spiritual practice, but in the arts, sciences. In parenting. What avenue of life is determination or resoluteness not respected? It's just it's kind of foundational. And so the key here is to find something worthy of determination and we've been talking about that the last few weeks. The thing about determination is it really takes what you know is maybe momentarily inspiring something we see or something even that we imagine that's beautiful that looks beautiful or is wholesome or is good and it and it provides the strength to start operationalizing it to sort of integrate it in our lives to make it part of the mind or heart You know, it's it's pretty clear once we start paying attention in life, it's pretty clear how much of the momentum in our minds, in terms of our emotional momentum and just the content of our thoughts and all of those impulses, inclinations, just to, you know, we know, we have some sense of the momentum of that. A lot of it is not very pretty. And it's not something we're necessarily inspired by or feel good about. But it is what it is. We are conditioned the way that we're conditioned. Our habit energies are the way that they are now. So the question is you know, what's our strategy? Just to put up with it for the next how many years? Well, it's not my fault. You know, the culture, my parents, they're the ones that created this conditioning. (laughs) So I'm just going to, you know, go with the flow. Like Ajahn Tamedo, I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, has this wonderful line which is, because it's misunderstood, I think, in spiritual circles, it's not about just following the mind or following the heart. It's really about training the heart. Because the way the heart's conditioned now is in various kinds of self-centered dramas. So, you know, we always see in terms of self, what I like, what I don't like. Even when we're dealing with people out there in our lives, it's always, almost always in terms of ourselves. You know, oh, this person's a big weight in my life, or this person is a real delight in my life. But one way or another, we tend to be the star of our dramas, of our endless internal dialogues and reactive patterns. So we're either going to just sort of go with the flow and basically reinforce those patterns by not doing anything about them. Just they arise, we react. Reinforcing them, they they re-arise soon down the road. Or we can have a sense that there's another way. There's a very beautiful discourse that I thought I'd share tonight one of the more well-known discourses from the time of the Buddha. This was later in his 45 years of teaching. He had, you know, he left his princely life when he was 29, evidently, and then practiced with some of the well-known teachers at the time, learned what he could learn, wasn't satisfied, and went off on his own, did some ascetic practices, realized asceticism wasn't the way and sort of turned a corner, understood how to relate to experience and to just hold his whole mind-body experience in a balanced, what he called the middle way, not sliding into sort of asceticism or uh, some kind of rejection of life, but not getting identified or indulging in sense experience in life something between those two, or not either one of those two, and had a deep insight when he was around 35. And then for the next 45 years, he taught, and he became pretty famous even in his own time. And there were a lot of well-known teachers at the time of the Buddha. Anyway, later on, when he was quite well-known and the word about the Buddha had spread around northern India, people were hearing about him and seeking him out. One of those rare times when he was actually wandering alone. Usually he had a large group of monks or nuns uh, following, you know, because of the way it worked. Uh, for nine months of the year, you'd wander, and then during, during the rainy season, the monks and nuns would stay put, and various benefactors would give them parks or little places just outside of towns to stay for the rainy season, where they'd have little huts or something like that. To camp out. So the Buddha was wandering by himself, and he uh, came to the end of the day, and he asked the local potter if he could spend the night in his shed. And the potter said, "It's fine with me, but I've already offered the shed to another ascetic that's staying there. So you have to ask him if it's okay." So the Buddha went in, met the the other wandering ascetic, and asked if he could spend the night. And This other Ascetic, let's see what his name was, Pukasati, Pukasati. said, sure, there's plenty of space, you're welcome to spend the night. So, as was the custom, you know, they would practice at night. It was the better time to practice because it was quieter, cooler, probably in India, that mattered. And so, anyway, they put the straw down, they sat down, Pukasata over here. The Buddha over there and they meditated through most of the night and while they were meditating a thought arose in the Buddha's mind something like oh, it seems to be a pretty sincere practitioner I wonder I wonder if I could be helpful so after they finished meditating somewhere in the middle of the night or early morning before the Sun rose the Buddha asked him you know under whose guidance have you left behind the your home and become a wandering ascetic. And Pukasati said, uh, well, there's this Buddha, this Sakyamuni Buddha that I've heard about. And he explains, you know, from the Sakyam clan, that was the family the Buddha had been born into. Now, a good report of that blessed Gotama, his family name, has been, has been uh, spread to this effect. The blessed one is accomplished, fully enlightened, perfect in true knowledge and conduct. Sublime knower of the world's incomparable leader of persons to be tamed teachers of the gods and humans enlightened blessed I have gone forth under the blessed one the blessed one is my teacher I profess the Dharma of that blessed one the teachings of that blessed one and the Buddha asked you know Have you ever met this person? (laughs) And he says no, but I hear he's in Savati and that's where I'm heading and uh, Buddha thought, well, maybe I'll teach this. So he said to this other uh, seeker, said, oh, here, listen. I have something to say to you. And he, he started this set of teachings. And it's a beautiful summary of the whole path that the Buddha taught. He started by just teaching, uh, some of you know the four elements, or the six elements, including space and consciousness. But it's just a, a way of dividing up the the actual experience we have. So like the earth element is just the experience of hardness or softness, and there are many other elements. But it's just a a description of of a deconstructed present moment. So how a present moment would be when we're not adding a story to it. So if you break down experience, it's really simple. I mean, there's many ways the Buddha would teach how to break down experience, like the six sense gates. It's either a sound being heard, a smell being smelled, a taste being tasted, a touch being touched, a sight being seen, or a thought being known. That's it. So the Buddha is kind of giving these various ways to deconstruct. And then he, the part I thought was interesting is he, he talks talks to Pukasati Bhuk, uh, about determination, or the foundations. Uh, a person has four determinations or four foundations. And with uh, reference to what was this said? There's the foundation of wisdom, truth, relinquishment, and peace. One should, neg- should not neglect wisdom. One should preserve truth. One should cultivate relinquishment. One should train for peace. And then he goes on to describe each of these, like how do, how do you train, how do you not neglect wisdom? So this is, you know, useful for us. So with this determination, with this strength, this natural strength we have, to be determined, because we're going to be determined one way or another. Either we're going to be determined to follow our neurotic tendencies, or maybe we could be determined to do something more wholesome, more useful. So from the Buddhist point of view, not neglecting wisdom means that we're orienting our life around what we directly experience, as opposed to what we think about things, or what we've been told about things, which is what we tend to do. Most of us are quite determinedly following what we take things to be, what we think things are, what we think, for example, is important. Like, you know, based on our particular culture, or particular upbringing, we maybe think having a lot of money is the ticket. And so we're determinedly trying to realize that, judging ourselves if we're not realizing that, longing for it, comparing ourselves to people based on that. Or, you know, you could, it could be good looks, it could be intelligence, it could be like being cool, like whatever that might mean for you. But however we've been conditioned, this is t- what we tend to invest in. But even thinking not having a lot is what's cool. You know, We can get quite attached and determined about being the person who doesn't need a lot. It can just, be, just as much be an ego trip as having a lot, having the perfect house or the perfect car or the perfect partner or the perfect body so this first uh, practice of not neglecting wisdom is really about having some confidence that there's actually something attainable that sets us, sets the mind apart from these meaningless or these endless pursuits that don't provide any lasting happiness. I think the main reason that we're willing to sort of continue with the conditioning that we've been given just through our upbringing and maybe genetically too you know just what's part of our human instinct human genetic information the reason we're not interested in going beyond that is we don't understand what would be beyond that this is a difficult corner to turn in life between our fixations on what we've been conditioned to think is important. So not neglecting wisdom means not so much that we're going to have the answer, but there is this confidence, this very powerful confidence that we can be quite resolute around, that we can see directly what's important, what's useful. What's actually leads to a more lasting happiness and what doesn't. Now, initially, what we really get clear about is what doesn't lead to happiness, and it can be sort of disconcerting because we start seeing when we do pay attention, when we do start trusting our direct experience, we begin to see the limitations of whatever it is that we've been pursuing. And again, it's not that what we've been pursuing in life is necessarily bad. I mean, there's nothing necessarily bad about wanting financial security or wanting to be around good people, have good friendships, have a nice partner. There's nothing wrong with that. But what is wrong in a sort of a, a deep sense is somehow taking any of those things to be more than what they are. So no matter how perfect our partner is right now or how perfect our health is right now, or how perfect our job is, or how perfect our intellect is, it's limited. And if if we're pursuing blindly happiness based on something that's limited, well that's ignorant. It's it's not wise. It doesn't actually make sense. Unless there's nothing else to pursue. And so this is really the relevant question for us. This is why we have to actually base it on our experience and not what people tell us is important, what leads to happiness. But we have to actually see. well, what, what does lead to la- lasting happiness? And as I mentioned, it's a, tricky, it's a tricky turning of the mind or insight that has to begin to arise in our life where we discover the happiness of letting go or the happiness of non-attachment or what the Buddha might call the happiness, the liberation of non-clinging. In fact, he summed up the whole path that he taught as liberation through non-clinging, or nothing whatsoever should be clung to as I, me, or mine. Those are two really pithy statements of the Buddha. And it's not like you shouldn't claim because it's bad to claim, but that this is actually a more resonant happiness. So he never put down the happiness of a good family and a good job. and. Enough to eat and a safe place to live. Never said, you know, that's what he rejected when he realized that asceticism wasn't the way. Somehow, rejecting the ordinary, wholesome pleasures in life isn't an answer in itself. It's, but nor is it an answer to sort of think that that's the way. So, without fixing on asceticism, getting rid of everything, or indulging in what's pleasant and wholesome or nice, there's a middle way, which is understanding that ultimately a more resonant happiness comes from non-attachment, not clinging to the things of the world. Doesn't mean we don't have partners and friends and family. It just means the heart isn't trying to extract Uh, lasting happiness from something that's temporary the heart is finding a a more resonant peace or freedom or happiness from letting go from non-attachment and this is a real art like how to be a parent how to be a lover how to be a citizen without the attachment how to engage life how to connect and respond and live together in community Without attachment. It's definitely possible, but it's not necessarily easy. It's a real turning because so much of our engagement that we know, the way we've been conditioned, is built upon attachment, identification, reactivity. So it's like rewiring the mind, which brings us to the second determination. So the first determination is not to neglect wisdom. Now in Buddhism, again, wisdom is a direct, mindful seeing. So It's not an intellectual wisdom, like, oh, I got the truth here. I've written it down, so I won't forget it. It's always got to be a direct understanding, an understanding that's arising from a direct connection, sensitivity to the present moment. So the truth is arising out of the present moment. What's that truth? It's the truth that there is no happiness greater than the happiness of non-clinging, non-attachment. The release of a heart or mind that's not attached, not identified, but still there, alive, engaged, present, intimate. There's nothing that's beyond that. Then you can experiment. You don't want to take it again. Like, It'd be easy to hear this or to read these teachings from the Buddha and then like, write it down in some nice script and put it above your mantle and think you have the answer. It's like we have to see directly. Like go home tonight and connect with your family or your lover or whatever, and experiment. Experiment. You know, notice when you're really attached, and notice how that is, and then notice, you know, in the next moment if you can, practice releasing the attachment, the identification. I'm me, you're you. This is what I think about you. This is what I think you think about me. You now that is so weightful, all of that stuff, and so in the way of having an authentic interaction. That when we in a moment or for maybe two moments we release that and we have a, just a glimpse of what non-attachment and non-clinging a moment of that is we start to get it oh there is actually something here to cultivate in life and so that's the first resoluteness is that there's something to cultivate it's this wisdom this directness and the insight that comes out of the directness And then the second resolution is to guard this truth, like to not forget this. Because this is what prompts the remembering or the the hard work of being mindful in the next moment, is to not forget that there's actually something relevant to see or to connect with moment by moment. Every moment is relevant, because every moment teaches us the truth that attachment is suffering, non-attachment is freedom. Every moment of our life teaches us, And the only thing that can teach us this is paying attention, being undefended in the moment. Because when we're open and clear, we directly experience how attachment doesn't work and non-attachment works. And it doesn't really do much good to sort of try to live by it philosophically. We have to rediscover it moment by moment through the direct either experience of suffering due to attachment, or the release due to non-attachment. It's like that's what our guru is. In Buddhist practice, at this Theravada Buddhism especially, mindfulness and the experience of Dhamma. Dhamma is just the Buddha's word for the way it is. It's that direct connection with life as it actually is that teaches us how to be. And then our teachers, you know, they just kind of remind us of the roadmap, you know. So when I'm up here teaching, based on my experience and what I've learned from my teachers and from reading and studying the Buddha, you know, it's just like I'm rearticulating the roadmap that so many men and women have been sort of forming over these generations of people practicing, which basically, you know, the roadmap basically says the present moment is relevant. You have the capacity to cultivate a balanced attention to the present moment, it will tell you everything you need to know. Neglecting the present moment, you will lead, you will continue to do what you've always done and get what you've always gotten. That's what we mean by samsara, the cycles of suffering. We just keep repeating the patterns we have of relating and we get the results of those patterns. So to whatever degree our patterns are based on greed, anger and aversion, then, of course, we're going to get the results born from greed, anger, and delusion, which are not pleasant. So, we have some record by not neglecting mindfulness or wisdom, we start having insight, and then we guard the truth. That's the second determination to not forget. Not forget the present moment is relevant. There's something to wake up to the truth that non clinging is available and good. And then The third resoluteness or uh, determination or the foundation for determined, wholehearted, committed action. The third one is uh, relinquishment. The Buddha says one should cultivate or be devoted to relinquishment, to letting go, to renunciation. And this is a big deal in Theravada Buddhism, especially in the teachings of the Buddha. He talked about relinquishment almost in every talk, probably. And here, I mean, there's all kinds of ways. But, you know, once we have not neg- neglected wisdom, which means we're mindful, being mindful means we're noticing how attachment doesn't work, non attachment leads to happiness. And we're guarding that truth. And then guarding that truth means we develop a shortcut which is renunciation. So just let go. It's like we we basically have summarized all of our insights. It all gets summarized into let go, let go, let go, let go. Or if you don't like that, you can use, because it can sound a little aversive to say let go. So you could say let be, let be, let be, let be. Or you find your own way. But it's like the Buddha said, uh, the supreme liberation has been discovered, namely liberation through non-clinging. A heart that doesn't cling, a heart that doesn't grasp. So this is the summation. So this is the determination. Once we've had enough experience, then for periods of time, it's not so much that we have to try to like not forget to be mindful, and then you know, but it's more like letting go. Just that's it. That's all we have to remember: non-clinging, non-grasping. No matter what's going on, not clinging to it, not grasping it. Whatever thought we have, it's not like we're trying to ignore the thought, or we don't have to tell ourselves, oh, that's just the thought, even. It's just about not clinging to thoughts. Thoughts are just thoughts, sounds are just sounds, smells are just smells. It's a a radical simplicity. And it just seems so otherworldly. But it makes so much sense. We don't need to complicate life. But we're frightened by the simplicity. It's like somehow we're afraid that if we don't complicate the moment, don't complicate our lives, we're going to miss something. But we've got to let go of that. That's just another self-centered drama, that somehow I'll miss something, I'll make a mistake, or I'll miss an opportunity. So we let go of that. Or make a mistake, we let go of that. So it's a it's a life of real exposure letting go means the ego is completely exposed because we're letting go of all the eco defense systems that's primarily wh- what we're letting go of over and over again part of one of the most difficult things to let go of is we have to let go of the confidence and the uh, attachment to the confidence that arises. So we start feeling empowered on the path. God, I finally figured out life. I just need to let go. Non-clinging, that's the ticket. you know. And then we want to build a shrine around non-clinging and convert converts to non-clinging and build a center. And on and on. And then, of course, we wonder if our center to non-clinging is better than another center to non-clinging. And it always, always gets messy. So one of the practices of non-attachment to a relinquishment is we've got to relinquish our attachment to the path, even though the path is wholesome. So it's very easy, and even it's even appropriate in the beginning to get a little attached to being a meditator to being whatever you know, whatever you call yourself—Buddhist, Christian, Christian Buddhist, just a Buddhist Buddhist, <laughs> a Jewish Buddhist, whatever, <laughs> New Age Buddhist, secular Buddhist—I think uh, Stephen Batchelor has this great line now. I'm trying to remember it, but uh, agnostic Buddhist or something like that. <laughs> But anyway, you know, it's fine to have these you know, they can be descriptive, but the attachment isn't useful. You know, like landing there with some grasping or some grip isn't useful. And to be on the lookout, there are real fruits, fruits from cultivating mindfulness and the development of concentration and meditation practice and especially the insights of seeing the power in letting go, seeing how uh, impermanent and fluid everything is seeing how conditional and impersonal thoughts are there's a lot of confidence a lot of real power charisma that arises as we cultivate this path of practice and it's very easy to get attached to that and to build a self around it and then you know of course things get stinky And hopefully our friends begin to notice so that they can mirror something back for us and uh, remind us about letting go and about relinquishing. And that attachment to to anything, even something that appears to be wholesome, is suffering. So the attachment is never skillful, even if what we're attached to is something that has been very useful or skillful in our life the attachment is unwholesome and we need to see that we somehow we need that reflected back to us and that's the third determination is no matter what let go the path is always about letting go seeing clearly how it is and letting go so we need to see it clearly before we want we let go sometimes when something's painful we want to let go before we actually feel it but that's a call diversion. <laughs> or if it's really pleasant, we really want to investigate it for a long time before we let go. So you know, it's, that's why it's, this, is, this part is very difficult. It's why we need help, because generally we're pretty good at noticing what we've already let go of, and we're pretty challenged to let go of what we haven't seen or holding. Right? We need often we need help to notice what we're holding. Although at some point, as the mind gets more calm and sensitive, we'll just notice the holding because holding is always suffering. It's always There's always a contraction or tension associated with clinging, grasping. And that will sort of point it out to ourselves. Oh, oh. if you're suffering, there's attachment. It's like a universal principle in the Buddhist teachings. If there's suffering, there's attachment. If there's no attachment, there, there can't be suffering. So unless you're perfectly content and free, there's some attachment, there's some suffering, there's something to let go of. It doesn't mean we can see it clearly, but we can be interested, and we can be willing to be quiet and sensitive so we can begin to discern what needs to be let, let go of. And then the last discernment or last set determination or resoluteness is to be resolute about peace. And again, these last two steps are really refining the instruction. So at some point letting go is even too gross of an instruction. So now instead of being resolute about letting go, we're resolute about peace, about calm, about stillness. It's like the short way to practice we don't need even even letting go or letting things be is too much of an ego trip We well, I just need to let things go I just need to let it be we can go directly the heart or mind can just rest in peace rest in calmness because if we really tune into peace the peace of non grasping a heart or mind that's not grasping not attaching not identifying with the moment, intimate but non attached. So, if we're residing or resting in that peace, then if attachment or identification would arise, it would disturb the peace. And as soon as the peace gets disturbed, it's obvious oh, so. it's like there's a choice oh, so I'll just gravitate towards peace. So, here it's an even more refined practice, just gravitating towards peace towards calm. This is actually just another way of saying love. Love is this peace. Because in order to really love in a, in a universal sense, to be kind, to be compassionate, we have to be intimate. We have to be present. And there's only one way to be present, which is the ego, the kind of agitated mind, has to be still. All the ego activity. Is in the way of connecting if the ego activity is moving is hot we can't actually connect we can't be intimate we can't love if we really want to love that part of the heart of mind has to be quiet so this is why peace and so the, the statement here by the Buddha is train only for peace right so the first one was developing or not neglecting wisdom so um, cultivating this mindful attention there is something here to see there's my teachers right here attachment self is suffering non-attachment is freedom and happiness that's my teacher Dharma, Dhamma is our teacher the way it is the presence of suffering due to attachment, the presence of release due to non-attachment. It's always here, moment by moment. And then the second resoluteness or determination is uh, preserving this or guarding this truth. Because life is very distracting. All our duties and responsibilities, we get pulled. We forget that our teacher is here. She's just waiting to teach us (laughs) our next lesson. You know, all we have to do is tune in. And we'll either learn the lesson that attachment hurts, or we'll learn the the lesson that non-attachment feels great. And that lesson is always available to us if we preserve that truth. And then eventually, having learned that lesson thousands and thousands of times, we start being able to practice with the third determination, which is, Letting go. The Buddha says one should cultivate or be devoted to relinquishment, to letting go. And once we get that, we begin to directly experience the peace, or what the Buddha calls the joy of renunciation, the happiness of renunciation, a mind or heart not clinging, not grasping. And then we start knowing directly what that experience of peace is, and even When we lose it, there's like a visceral memory of peace in the mind, in the heart. And it's like we could tune back in, oh yeah, peace is available. And so we train only for this peace. It's like our beacon, our orientation is just toward peace. Now, if we think peace is about avoiding unpleasant situations in life, that's not peace. That's aversion. So if I, you know, maybe I thought, oh, God, I don't really feel like giving the talk tonight because it's going to disturb my peace. So I'll just, you know, call in sick or something, you know, whatever that might be for us. But that, that rejection is not peaceful. Like being afraid of doing what we're obliged to do, whatever our responsibility might be, being afraid of it is a disturbance. That's not... Uh, training for peace. It's really finding peace no matter the condition. It's a peace that's not about having easy conditions. It's a peace in a sense that transcends the particular conditions. So we call it an unconditioned peace in Buddhist practice, as opposed to a conditioned peace. Because sometimes when we're on a really tranquil beach with our friends, and, you know, nothing to disturb us, just the right temperature, the right amount of shade, the right amount of breeze, no jellyfish, <laughs> you know. Then, you know, it's easy to get tranquil. But that's a tranquility or that's a peace dependent on the particular conditions. And then we'll leave when the conditions change. We're really talking about a peace that's arising from the relinquishment from a heart that's realized the peace of letting go, the peace of non-attachment. So I'll leave it here so we have time to hear from one another. Maybe you have experiences from your own life of having experienced this peace or just experiences generally around uh, kind of catching the scent of freedom and following it and the determination that resoluteness that has come up in your life at different times and maybe being led astray at times, maybe being drawn back in to something that's more wholesome. So what comes to mind? Yeah, Amy. Um, sense,
0: that it's hard for um, I had a dream. that I've never actually dreamed. But in the dream, when I felt that feeling that I was losing everything, I said, I said, um, can it be like this? Is this okay? It's like this now. Mm -hmm. And um, and I I was like, yeah, I think this can be And And then I suddenly became aware that I was dreaming. And I felt I felt sadness for the, the fact that I had to suffer in my sleep to that traumatic extent, um, but also liberation.
1: Yeah, yeah. And this is the thing about our mind. Once we have a sense of these four things we talked about, I mean, there are other ways to talk about it, but just in general, once we have a sense of the power and the freedom of letting go, that archetype just starts to work. I mean, it's a little bit like a computer virus. It sort of starts rewiring the mind, heart, body, and we're drawn to it like a, you know, like a magnet draws itself to metal. There's just something resonant about this because it's like a, it's a solvent. It begins to dissolve all of our self-centered dramas, and. Uh, It's yeah. One of the things that's useful is to actually prompt this, like happen naturally in your dream, but you could do this consciously. Like it would be useful for all of us to do an inventory of all those things that absolutely are not okay. You know, like getting cancer, for example, or losing our loved one, or and to really look at it and realize, well, that you know that. That would be very unpleasant. That might really hurt the heart. The heart might really hurt around that. There might be a lot of fear. But even that fear, even that pain that might arise, well, that could be okay. Like adding, a, no, this can't happen. I don't need to do that. We can actually begin to work on it now. Like for example, we're all going to die. So we can actually work with that fact. We could bring it up. Or well, could I? could I reasonably say yes to death when it is my time, wouldn't that actually be the appropriate thing to do? Wouldn't that be uh, a cause for happiness, to be able to say yes to death when it comes? Or even with our loved ones, if that's what's happening, to not reject it, to not feel betrayed by life because somebody we love is dying. So we want to, because this will kind of illuminate why why they need to be determinations. We have to be determined to trust mindfulness that reveals that attachment is always suffering, always unnecessary suffering, and non-attachment is always the path to what's wholesome and good. Thanks, Mamie. Other thoughts people have? From your life or questions about the to talk tonight? I have a question. Yeah, Susan. You know, when you're talking about
0: letting go, in a theoretical sense, it makes a lot of sense. But like in a heartfelt kind of sense, sometimes it's really difficult. Like I sometimes even wondering, you know, what what is the act of letting go, or what is the kind of what are the mechanics of letting go? And I know that it's to understand, but sometimes it's hard to even understand what it is supposed to understand.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and remember with this particular formulation of the teachings, remember if it's not clear, bump back. So, you know, like peace, that's maybe where we start. We just orient around peace. And then we confuse, I want peace to happen. Oh, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. You know, I can't just go to peace. So then we go, okay, bump back to number three. Okay, it's always about letting go, Mark. What do you need to let go of? What is this moment asking you to let go of? And well, maybe we'll get some clarity there where the mind really sees, oh, let go. But maybe not. And then we have to bump back to truth. Okay, what am I trying to remember? Okay, it's always a matter, you know, moment by moment, there's attachment that leads to suffering, not attachment leads to peace. Okay, is the mind attached? Is it identified? Is you know, so we're just sort of using that lens to see. And then if that doesn't, we bump back to mindfulness. What's happening here? What can I be aware of? What, what's happening that I'm not aware of yet? Because it so, feels so personal, I don't pay attention to it, or it's too subtle. Or, so what can I know that I'm not currently seeing clearly? What can I be sensitive to? And in particular, sensitive to the mind, to the heart. So we just bump back. So when letting go is hard, just keep bumping back. Then eventually we'll bump back all the way to, I just have to trust paying attention. Because that's, that's the bottom line. There's no bumping back beyond that, you know. Because anything else besides that would be just reactive pattern, you know. Okay, I'm just going to react because that's all I know. No, we'll do that anyway, but eventually we'll, we'll realize that, you know, blindly following our impulses to react doesn't lead to any change. So, we want the only thing that changes the wiring in the mind, changes the way we are, is paying attention in this balanced way. It is what dissolves the conditioned patterns of the mind and allows for new patterns to arise. Is that clear, balanced attention, what we call mindfulness? Yeah, Julian? So, the, the Buddha spoke about reflecting conscious reflection on wholesomeness, on wholesomeness Mm -hmm. of actions, feelings of loving kindness, reflections on kindness to reorient us to those states of mind so that, that we're more aware of them. It seems kind of the talk this morning and now a little paradoxical because what's the relation to letting go yet reflecting on this wholesomeness Well I think the' reflecting on the wholesomeness really come all the way through. It's just like it's like different frequencies of wholesomeness. So the, in the beginning like where we say uh, one should not neglect wisdom. So then not neglecting wisdom really means that like I was saying, like we're really investing in the present moment, the wisdom of connecting with the present moment. And, like, how can we connect with the present moment? Well, we need kindness to connect. We need patience. We need forgiveness. Otherwise, in a way, we're just deflected into our reactive patterns. So, all of those tools that you're referring to, Julian, really are tools to how to have a moment of being connected. Like, in order to just feel what we're feeling, we need so much compassion, so much understanding, so much forgiveness, so much patience just to feel what we're feeling just to get close to knowing how it is now for us in this moment so what we learn like all the what Julian was mentioning is this is a big step this first step to go from sort of our reactive patterns to not neglecting wisdom we could just as easily said not ne- not neglecting kindness or love you know for this first step like a way of being intimate with our experience and many, many skillful means. So I think the point that, it, to kind of balance out the talk, that Julian brings up is that we have to remember that there are many skillful means for each of these steps. But the steps really point to a refinement. That what drives each of these steps is a kind of determination that's built upon our direct experience. And so the first step really has to do with having a direct experience. Not living a superficial life, sort of uh, kind of floating or uh, is vibrating with our conditioned patterns. We have to break that cycle. We have to somehow find a way to be more intimate, more connected. And it requires both a sort of fearless, penetrating clarity and it requires a resonant trust, and love, and forgiveness, and compassion. Both of those qualities have to be there. That's really what we mean by balance. It's the balance of the wisdom factor and the compassion factor. It's just you know, just two ways of talking about a balanced mind or a balanced heart. Yeah, I don't know your name. Basu.
0: Basu. Uh, every, day,
1: um, Maybe a little louder.
0: Okay. every day we sound ourselves with things mm-hmm. that uh, we are in a way attached to. We're aware. We are in a way attached to.
1: Oh, attached to, yeah, yeah. So
0: uh, the strength of the attachment varies with different things. Mm-hmm. So that is something, I'm not asking if it is to be practiced. Is it something that you tried with uh, the one that the God is the strongest. And then you go, tell yourself, okay, I feel completely unattached. I mean, I've tried, uh, I mean, I did my best to this thing, or person, or whatever. And uh, I feel, uh, or I felt like I've, I've actually come myself unattached. So, I'm like, good to go with those certain things. <laughs>
1: Well, but you know the interesting, interesting thing. If I understood you correctly about non-attachment is, it's a natural arising. So the first is this wisdom, you know, not neglecting wisdom, which I'm talking about as a balance in the mind, a balance between intimacy, and uh, a letting go, a kind of an acceptance. So clarity, seeing things, and letting go, or trusting, or accepting, and. The non- the letting go, the non-attachment, really comes from seeing that attachment doesn't work. So you don't actually have to let go of attachment. The letting go of attachment is the same as seeing what attachment is. We're seeing that it's unproductive, that it leads to suffering, and then it lets go. The mind, heart, just lets go. So this is why we need to begin with uh, this balanced mind because. Right from the start, we're seeing the impersonal nature of the whole path. Otherwise, it becomes kind of, I have to let go, or we, we pride ourselves on having let go. But we don't want to make it something we have to do, a burden. It arises naturally from the, the clear seeing. And so whatever, wherever the pain is in life, you know, whatever happens to be predominant, we just look. And we bring this kind of resonant, loving attention to what's happening in our life in this moment. We bring this balance and we see that that leads to the letting go. Because we see attachment and how it doesn't work, we see non attachment in other moments and see how it works. Does that kind of get at what you were saying?
0: Sorry, I'll take, I think, right?
1: Yeah, but the the key about practice though is it's it starts really simple. Because when we look at certain places in our life like how could I not be attached about this crazy stuff going on at my job? And we can't we can't imagine it. But what we can do is we can be mindful. We can cultivate a balanced mind, a balanced heart in that situation. And whenever we think about that situation. And then the more balanced the mind is, the more that we care about this situation, the more that we're interested in the situation, the more that we're gonna notice how attachment is extra and doesn't work. And then the abandonment will just happen. I think we have to leave it here. So let's just take a few seconds and let go of the words. Nice to take a breath together, a couple breaths together. Take a moment and reflect our our deepest aspiration. recognize whatever confidence there is in the mind or in the heart to build on this by applying the mind applying the heart to the moment each moment learning what can be learned and dedicating everything that we learn for the benefit of all beings as a deep way to take care of ourselves and to take care of all beings to cultivate real freedom and peace wisdom and compassion as a gift for ourselves a gift for our loved ones and a gift for the world so may each of our lives each in their own way be a cause for happiness and peace and freedom from suffering for all beings and thanks again, everyone. Wishing you all a good month of practice.